In the homes we build, it is amazing how tile is such a feature of the home. It creates such a beautiful accent. It brings the warmth. It brings the hospitality to the client themselves. And the relationship with our vendors is so key. And there's no one better than the tile shop that not only have this amazing product that beautifies the home, but they can also deliver, especially right now with product supply chain and communication. And they communicate, they deliver, and they execute. The Tile Shop carries a selection of more than 6,000 in-stock tile and natural stone products, including full collections with coordinating trim and accessory pieces, options ranging from durable luxury vinyl tile to intricate water jet mosaics mean you're sure to find the perfect tile for any project, whether it's a small bathroom renovation or an entire custom home. They collaborate with renowned brands such as Laura Ashley, Annie Selkie, and Morrison Co., to create exclusive designer collections only available at the Tile Shop. Explore their entire assortment online at tileshop.com. We should all be uncomfortable all the time. If, if we're just sitting there going, I know exactly what to do and everything's great, this is super easy, I, I think we're, we're going to fold. You know, everybody gets a little grumpy when all those things are going on and it's, and it's hard, but then we look back and we're like, man, it's so amazing like how far we've come. This really uncomfortable part where everything feels like in chaos and we're learning and we're doing all these things, this is the best time. You're going to look back in 10 years and say, you were a part of that. And, and this is the best time of the company. Welcome to episode 133 of the AFT Construction Podcast. And today our special guest is Tony Frazier, who is owner and home designer at Frazier Home Design. And Tony has been uh, a fan fave of ours for a long time throughout social media. He and I have known each other through Instagram. He does some amazing designs. We're huge fans. And I wanted to get him on just to dive into um, how he built this company, especially as you look at where he started in production, growing to custom, how he worked through that understanding and knowledge and research. You know, we speak about as a company the importance of systems and understanding how that can now build, you know, your value to the client and also how that changes your rates and compensation. And then, of course, the company culture side and how that's evolved into new technology and the systems he uses. There's so much valuable information in this episode with Tony. He has so much passion for the industry. He's such a great resource with many great things to come. So without further ado, let's get started. And just a reminder to sign up for the Contractor Coalition Summit. It's that simple, contractorcoalitionsummit.com. Morgan and Jamie from Construction of Style, Nick Schiffer with NS Builders and I will be hosting this. This will be in Nashville on Sunday, May 1st through Wednesday, May 4th. It'll change your business. Go sign up. We'll see you there. So welcome to the AFT Construction Podcast. I'm Brad Levitt, and we have Tony Frazier with us. Welcome, Tony. Excited to be here, Brad. I'm a fan of uh, you as a builder and also follow your podcast, so I'm excited to be here. Yeah, it's been long overdue. Tony is a owner and home designer of Frazier Home Design, and you know we've been a huge fan. I know my wife is a huge fan as well of everything you do because nice. she's always like, hey, Brad, did you see this one that Tony just posted? And <laughs> I know we've been friends for quite a while through Instagram, and it's been pretty fun to see your journey. We'll have to dive into that because you've uh, you've hit a, a lightning stride on there and done really well, you know. Thanks, so man. it's pretty awesome to see. Thank you. It's not surprising though. I mean, you design great stuff. So I, That's the goal, you know, maybe right? we dive. <laughs> yeah, it is, and 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 it's amazing because you've you've brought in a national brand, which I think is super amazing. So maybe we start here. I, you know, I see your designs all over social media, as a, as we mentioned. You know, you've continued to. Uh, take hold of that platform. And so has this always been part of your, uh, you know, job history doing these custom designs? No, we, we actually, when I first started, I started the company, uh, we're in Raleigh, by the way, Raleigh, North Carolina. And I started the uh, company in 2007 out of my house. And um, sort of nature of the beast of being here in Raleigh, everything was sort of like production driven. There's some custom homes, but, but certainly not the definition of custom that, that we have today. Um, but we started off just doing sort of like semi-custom, a little bit of production. Um, again, I was out of my house by myself. So <laughs> it was really just me kind of getting into the beginning of this recession without knowing it. And once the recession hit, I was super fortunate that I teamed up with a few production builders that were really just like getting started. Like, like you know, land prices were cheap and these guys had a lot of money. And, and for whatever reason, I was in the right place, right time. I got calls from like three different local production builders. They weren't national, but but they're all over, you know, North Carolina and certainly the Triangle area. And I got them with those guys and it wasn't like the most creative work, but it was it was feeding my family, which I was I was very fortunate again to have. Um 
But the type of work that they did is they'd have me, you know, they, they'd have a large neighborhood with 150 lots and they'd say create five plans with three different exteriors. And it, it allowed me then to even just right out of the recession in 2009 to start hiring people. Um, and and so it was probably 2012 when the custom plans started to kind of come back in. And again, it was really at that time what I would call semi-custom, but but we weren't necessarily paying attention to how each house sat on the lot. We weren't paying attention to the sun or the to- topography or really a builder would come in and say, hey, we have this footprint and we need this square footage. And and then we would kind of plug that in. And at that time, a lot of our work or most of our work was generated directly from builders. So we we were the partner of the builder, essentially a subcontractor of the builder. This is before our name was out there, um, certainly nationally, but, but also locally. Uh, we'd get calls from time to time from local homeowners that would come to us. But again, 95% of our work was, was from builders. And as it kind of you know, progressed and the economy got better, more and more custom would come in. And it wasn't until I would say 2013 that we really started to get, again, our name out there a little bit more. We started to get a hold of what we wanted to do. And our company was running better. We were developing systems and processes and, and things were kind of clicking on all gears. And and we started to jump into custom and push the envelope a little bit more. Um, and it was really like locally, I started seeing a few contractors or one in particular, Dixon Kirby, kind of push the envelope. And I remember seeing that. I remember driving through a neighborhood that had sort of this old world European style of architecture that wasn't done necessarily correctly. Like they put a 12 inch overhang on a, on a Tudor style house just because that's what they knew it to do. And I, I saw this Dixon Kirby house and and it sort of just blew me away. Proportion, scale, uh, detail galore, like everything was on point. And it, it made me see that we could do that locally in this production environment. We could do that here. And I was so excited about it. And I started to push the designs a little bit um, more. And, and at that time, we probably had 100 builders um, that we were working with here locally. And so when we jumped into it initially, every builder was scared. Like, this is completely different than anything that we wanted to do. And we kept pushing and kept pushing and then ultimately started drawing a lot more details and sections on our plans that, that then weren't followed. And, and so it was us kind of going out in the field and, and you know, teaching the subcontractors, but also learning from the subcontractors and our details and processes started to get better. And, and then we, you know, hit the ground running and, and started to pave the way for where we are today. Well, it's interesting. I mean, it, what, what's unique about your market, you know, I'm part of CBUSA, which is a like contractor, it's a group purchase essentially for custom builders. And in Arizona, our market's so unique because it's dominated outside the custom world, it's dominated by the national builders, right? Okay. Whereas in the South, you know, especially North Carolina, I know CBUSA has an amazing presence, you know, because there's a lot of these smaller, I shouldn't say smaller, but I mean, they're doing 100 homes, 400 homes, 600 homes, you know, that semi production. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah, product out there in the Carolinas and, and in the South. And, and you don't see a lot of builders here in Arizona that are doing 400 homes because they get bought up by the big national builder because they own the land. And so fr- from your side, as you are, are building your name, and this is interesting because before we, I, we dive into the custom side, how did you begin these relationships? I mean, 2007, you know, everything looked great then. I mean, it was right on the, the precipice of it all falling apart for all of us. But you know, how did you begin those relationships just to say, okay, you know what? I'm Tony. I'm ready to go out on my own. I'm ready for this. And how do I start pounding the pavement to start meeting these production builders? So I, I was in a very fortunate position where the, the previous company that I was with, which was a structural engineering firm, by the way, and, and I ran like the design division. I sort of created it from scratch. So I was the point of contact. I was the, the name of the design. So this was a Real quick, this was a structural engineering company, yeah. but then they also worked with design, and then you were you're facilitating that and 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 bringing that to life. That's exactly right. So initially, I worked for an architectural firm, um, and everything that we did, we sent off to a structural engineering firm or multiple right. structural engineering firms, and of course, we form relationships there. So a structural yeah. engineering firm called me one day and said, "Hey, we were thinking of forming a design division. We 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 don't draw homes, but people ask us all the time." Um, would you like to join our team? And I was 23 or four at the time. And um, it's like, man, that, that sounds amazing. So I took that opportunity. And really for like the first six months, I was, they weren't using CAD or anything at the time. They were hand drawing and then they would send it back <laughs> to the home designers or architects and they would plug it in in CAD. So 
I came in and developed their CAD system. And, and really, for, again, for the first six months, I was really just plugging in beams and joy spans and valleys and, and getting like sort of a CAD system developed. But I was learning so much from those guys. Um, so it really started. That had to have been huge, though. If I, yeah. yeah, if I interrupt you, Tony, Please. I mean, if you're, if you're working from the structural side, because I, I've worked with a lot of different draftsmen or designers, you know, from the architecture side, and some don't have that element, right? They, they send it out to the consultants and third parties. But I mean, that has to give you a huge advantage, especially to understand the structural component of it. Absolutely. It's absolutely imperative to have that knowledge. I mean, it's, it's beyond just kind of like stacking walls and everything. It's getting massing on roofs correctly and understanding just how all the loads are transferred down. But again, I, I mean, I, I did that piece for, you know, a couple of years, but certainly the six months, we were, I didn't draw any houses. It was really just plugging in data and learning from those guys. Um, and again, so I started that design division, hired a couple guys. We started to get builders that, that would come in and want us to design houses, but they weren't, they were semi-custom. Again, they weren't like super, super high end. I mean, some of them were in the million dollar range, but it wasn't like what we do now at all. Um, so it was really cool to kind of take it to that point. Um, and, and again, the, the clients knew me. They didn't really know the structural aspect, we just happened, the ones that sort of were going through me were just happy that I had contacts with a structural engineer under one roof, but it was really about me. So I sort of, you know, came to the epiphany one day that, that I kind of wanted to do it on my own and create my own thing and felt like I had a decent client base. So I didn't really tell any clients that I was leaving. I felt kind of awkward about that. But day one, I essentially went to the Home Builders Association website, wrote down every builder's name and my wife helped me with this. And, and basically we sent out a mailer to everybody with wow. a few like photos of houses. And, and this was 2007, day one, I got like 10 or 12 calls. And at the time though, I was a cheap, fast guy. So I was like plugging in my turnaround times and my really low footage rates. And right. we got calls right away. Um, <laughs> and I'm, I'm in a room out of my house, 2007, you know, just thinking that the world is more sort of like so excited. Everything's like pouring in. And then one day, Brad, as you know, it was like a faucet just like turned off. Yeah, <laughs> it was. And, and, you know, a few of my custom guys would call me and be like, we we the bank will not let us build another spec. <laughs> and if a presale comes along, they have to have really good credit. So it literally turned off and it got to a point. Um, initially, it was like, man, it's kind of cool. I'm like playing golf in the middle of the day. And my wife and I are going to the movies in the middle of the day. And then that kind of turned into a little bit of fear, like, oh, I've got to, what else can I do? The, the building industry isn't hiring at all. What else could I do? And I didn't know the answer to that. And it started to get really scary. And then one day a, a guy called me for a renovation on a, for a small ranch house that was in the woods, essentially. And I went there and met him and sort of came to the realization through the conversation when I was there that he was a production builder just getting started and wanted to renovate that one house, but develop a bunch of homes all the way around that particular home. And that's how I got my start. And my name was out there with them. I got another one and another one and and then was able to kind of catapult and hire people. And it was sort of a, a weird time, as you know, but like a lot of the architectural firms or, or home design companies that were here in Raleigh were hurting. They had, you know, 15, 50 employees. They were kind of hurting and coming down or changing the trajectory of what they were doing and, and spreading out a little bit. And so I was like the, the new kind of young guy and I was working nights and weekends and, you know, every available hour that I could find and just pushed and pushed and pushed until, you know, kept my head down and worked and worked and worked. And then one day looked up and I was like, oh, shit, man, I'm, I got a lot of stuff going on. This is awesome. I should hire some people. And, and then it sort of never looked back from there. So how, you know, that's interesting because as you mentioned, I mean, you built a credible firm, which we'll get to, but when you start thinking about part of this is we start a company, right? And this is something I speak about a lot on the podcast is it's really hard to understand your worth, right? I'm sure for you, Tony, that you have this experience, you work in the structural engineering side, you have this great knowledge, you know, great creativity from the design side, but there's still a balance. And, and of course, for you starting your company, when you did, you had the, res the recession, which is now going to lower the fee essentially until you can start yeah. building that up and, and, you know, business is there. So there's a little bit of that, but I mean, part of it is when did you kind of hit that threshold when you said, okay, I know my worth, I can raise my rates and, and I know what I'm worth because I understand the business. I mean, that, that takes some time and growth for any company when they're first starting out. And, and we did that like initially kind of like in 2012, but it really wasn't until 2014, um, as I was saying earlier, where we started to push the envelope a little bit um, and get our name out there and start to get homeowners calling us directly. And, and 
again, push the envelope and kind of hit our stride or hit our stride with builders understanding our details and, and then pushing that portfolio out to people. That's when it all kind of came together and we started to raise rates a little bit. And, and then it was, I don't know, 2017 or 18 that I found Instagram. And, and it, that's <laughs> and it really didn't take you long. It, that's really when it just took off. And now we get, you know, 10 calls a week, half of which don't go through, by the way. But we just get yeah. one call after another that, that sort of has allowed us to spread out and allow people to kind of trust in what we do. And, and again, follow those details and, and just make our portfolio that more, much more robust, you know. So. You mentioned this early on, you know, as you started, you know, in 2014 and, and in those early years, you started, you know, the production builder semi-custom started taking some more chances and some more risk. And then of course, you, you know, this attracted you to that design and excited you, you know, when do you do any production now or have you fully moved the company into the custom world? We have fully, you know, we had one foot in, in custom and one foot in production. Yeah. Which is and hard. There, there's people smarter than me that can run that. It, it wasn't for me, you know, and it was really, it was, I was hurting on both ends, really. So I yeah. wasn't able to provide a great service for, for either. So at some point in, in our career, which is really more like 2018, that I kind of made more of a push. I, I read the book called The Pumpkin Plan, where essentially it, it, it talked about, you know, clients and it equated them with being like these pumpkin seeds that these farmers really like cultivate and pick only three instead of 40. You know, so I started to do that in like day one, I doubled my prices, um, which which sort of, you know, shed some builders that, that without burning bridges too much. And it it allowed me to, you know, just concentrate on the guys that really cared about design and cared about what we did. And the guys that were just there because we were the cheap, fast guy went away um, again, hopefully without burning a bridge. So when things go down again, hopefully I can still call those guys. Um, but we were able to you know, just get a little bit of freedom and therefore pay more attention to the higher end clients. And fortunately slash unfortunately, I keep doing that. You know, I've doubled prices once more since then. And we're, we're just getting a little bit more acute on what we do because Brad there for a while, um, we were probably drawing around 600 houses a year. Not what? all from, I, exactly. Not all from scratch though. There was some builders that would yeah. come back to us and, and say, Hey, I want to do that house again and make some revisions. And so at the end of the year, we'd have, let's call it 600 invoices, but all of those weren't houses from scratch. So when I started jumping into these higher end details and pushing the envelope and putting all this thought and effort into the plans, there was no way to sustain that. You know, we're, we're a staff of 10, right? So 10 guys, uh, essentially, you know, each one is starting, you know, two houses. At the time, they were starting like two houses a week. And now we're down to like one house every other week for, from scratch. I have three head designers that start one house every other week. And, and it's still, man, we, I want to keep going and kind of get a little bit, I I would love to do 20 houses a year, but I've had to sort of like find my place in there the hard way, sort of like kicking and screaming and clawing up up this wall. (laughs) I I went from production and just kind of just like easing and finding my footing still with the fear in the back of my mind, like, Oh man, it could fall any, any day, forget the recession, just like everything could fall apart at any time. And, and that's, Maybe because I lived through the recession, that's in the back of my mind at all times. So I'm very careful not to burn bridges and sort of, but but because of the love of what I do and and me wanting to to just draw better homes that work better for people, I, I have to slow down and we have to get more acute with our designs. And and that's a path we we're we're on and we're pushing hard for and we get better each day. Yeah. And I think that's an important point to make is Tony, when you say, you know, I've doubled my rates or my costs went up, it's not just, Hey, I have a name now I'm charging more. I mean, there, there is, there's investment, there's time, there's education, there's uh, research, there's uh, employees, as you mentioned, as you're hiring people. And, and a big thing you mentioned early on in the, in the conversation was processes and systems. Like you really got that dialed in. That, that's a value to the client. That's a value to the customers. And now Tony has all this experience and he's dialed in systems. And that's why your prices can increase because now, you know, it's justified, right? Because everything's dialed in from that aspect. And that's exactly, it wasn't about the name recognition at all. Really, it was like, okay, I want to create these better designed homes. And we therefore, we have to put more thought into that and more energy and more collaboration within the office. You know, now we put things up on the screen and everybody looks at it and we come up with ideas and really, again, thinking about the position on the land from the, the very first day. I'm thinking about how does the house sit 
How does the topography work? Where are the views? What, what views do I not want to see? How does the sun come into the house from multiple angles? You can't do that and draw 600 houses a year, right? So um, we were providing a better service, a more detailed plan with all the details that we were doing. And this is, this is pre-3D, um, you know, we were doing everything in 2D at this point. So it was even more streamlined, but, but still we were adding so much more time and energy into the plan. So it wasn't about name recognition. I think name recognition followed those processes and those yep. changes. Yeah, it's interesting because I was speaking with the builder just the other night and um, he had mentioned that, you know, he said, look, you know, as a company, we've, we have some name recognition, you know, we've built this brand, we've been working for a long time, but we don't have the systems in place. Like we're kind of scatterbrained and he's pretty open about it. And, and he's like, I, I would like to raise my rates or I'd like to be more competitive again in this market. But I understand that on the back end, I can't just go to a client and say that when I don't have my ducks in a row, I have to get that done first and then I can advance the next level. Exactly. There's so many things you have to do to be able to raise your rates and to provide a better service. You know, you have to get better customer service. You have to have your processes in, a, in all in a line. You have to provide more detailed plan sets. You, you know, there's the artistic piece of that where you need to provide better designs and spend more time with the clients. And it was one day in a staff meeting, I sort of drew that bubble diagram out for the staff. It was like, hey, we need all of these things because we can't just be really good at design, and, but we don't call people back. Or, or we can't be, you know, like we, we have to have all of those things all together. We have to have the talent. We have to have the culture here in the office. We have to have the customer service. We have to have the tools, meaning the software. And all of that has to merge together. Not to raise our rates necessarily. That kind of just follows us providing a better service. And that's really what it's about. It's, it's not about I'm not chasing money at all. I'm really, the money piece of it is just a means to support the design that I'm trying to create. In, in the direction of the company that I'm trying to create. And that's it. I love that you share that. This gets me excited because I've had this conversation so many times with our clients and, and you know, architecture plays a huge role in what we do, right? And the, the skill level of the architect, the details, the drawings that allows me to be more uh, cost effective. I can be more accurate in my bidding. We can build quicker. We have less issues, less plan bus, you know, the list goes on and on. And what I've told clients, it's funny because as we go through this and, and early on, you know, truth be told, like I didn't have the experience or education, haven't gone right. through enough trial and error and issues where a client may want to hire a different architect. And for easy math, let's say they have architect A at 50,000, architect at B at 100,000. Well, architect A, you know, is giving them 15 sheets and architect B is giving them 150 sheets, right? right. Like honestly, right. and details and this information. I tell the client, you know, you're talking, you're spending whatever it is on your house, you know, a lot of money for 50 grand. Do you understand like how quickly in change orders or plan bus or time delays <laughs> or yeah i mean that that'll that'll go so fast in building materials and issues if the plans aren't detailed in whereas if by investing a little bit more upfront and planning correctly yeah it's justified you know you may pay tony more but you're going to get the back end side that's going to not only be better for you but better for us as the builder and especially even furthermore absolutely. warranty down the road absolutely and that's where we're the builders here local. I'm glad, I'm glad you see that as a builder because a lot of builders here locally just when I tell them our new prices and processes and things, they're like, "That's crazy, man!" But the homeowners, especially nationally, the ones that we bring in from social media and from our website, they see that that's the whole reason they call us is for that value, right? It, yeah. And we're not at the level where we're doing 150 pages. Where our business model right now is set up where we're highly detailed on the exterior with framing and cornice details. Where, where we detail, you know, every quarter of the inch of the outside, but the inside, we're still working with interior designers and having them kind of go and do selections, um, 100%. Do a little bit of project management and, and things like that as sort of as needed, but I'm not running the job. Um, uh, you know, so from our perspective, we're able to kind of get in there with our business model and be somewhere in the middle. We're, we're not, you know, draftsman or production, but I'm also not Jeffrey Dungan. You know what I mean? So it's like somewhere <laughs> kind of in this space that's in the middle. You know? Yeah. No, you do a phenomenal job. And, and, and really, I couldn't be him <laughs> if I wanted to. But but <laughs> I'm just finding, like, what are my expertise? What am I good at? Where can I go with this and find a hole in the market that's, that's somewhere in the middle? I love that. Now, now here's the interesting thing. I mean, you you have 10 employees, which is no small firm by any means, especially on the architecture side. I mean, that, that's a lot of people to manage. How's that been? The hiring side, the training side, finding the right people? You know, how do you, how do you hire? How do you find good people to work for your firm? You know, so, so um, social media is really the main spot now, but but we've used the the normal, you know, like LinkedIn and things like that to hire people. But 
The way I like to do it, and we've been fortunate, by the way, where a lot of my guys have been with me since the beginning. You know, we have some new people, of course, but but a lot of the guys have been with me, you know, 10 years, eight years, nine years. Um, but but social media, you know, brings a lot of them in. And once what the rhythm that I found lately is I like for people to come in for a whole day or two days and and just sit over the shoulder of us, maybe pop in a meeting with me and watch me sketch with a client and just try to get a vibe of what we're going for. But the, the things that, that I'm looking for are really just a passion for architecture and somebody that wants to come in and just, you know, work as hard as they can to achieve the goals and they have the same vision that I do. And and they're willing to, I heard this somewhere and it was really good, but, but someone that, that thrives with a steep learning curve. Um, that's what I'm looking for. I don't want to, I don't want anybody, including myself, to just kind of sit idle and say, okay, we figured it out. This is what we're going to do. We're not going to change. I, I tell my guys all the time, and it, this is bad. I shouldn't say this on a podcast, but I want everybody uncomfortable. We should all be uncomfortable all the time. If, if we're just sitting there going, I know exactly what to do and everything's great and this is super easy, I, I think we're, we're going to fold. You know, everybody gets a little grumpy when all those things are going on and it's, and it's hard. But then we look back and like, man, it's so amazing, like how far we've come. This really uncomfortable part where everything feels like in chaos and we're learning and we're doing all these things, this is the best time. You're going to look back in 10 years and say, you were a part of that. And, and this is the best time of the company. And it's, I give a lot of those little speeches that come off a little cheesy, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I think that it helps sort of develop the culture and make sure that everybody sees the vision of where I want to take things. And, and really, when I say I want to take things, I'm sort of the leader of that, but by no means is it the Tony Frazier show. because. It was when I had three employees, but you get to 10, man, and, 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 and more. Everybody has brought little pieces to the company and added a different dynamic and, and really like shaped it. And, and we did this together. I couldn't do it without them. I, I like to think they couldn't do it without me as well, but <laughs> at, at this level anyways. But man, it's, it's really cool, like what everybody has brought and what everybody is kind of doing on a daily basis and everybody challenging themselves. And again, you stop and look back, it's like, man, look how far we've come in a year. It, it's amazing. And we just keep going. So long answer, but you get the idea. <laughs> I do. Well, it's amazing because, I mean, as a visionary, what you are, I mean, Tony, I mean, you, you I, I'm sure even when you started, you, you kind of knew your wheelhouse, but at the same time, you knew where you were going, right? And as you mentioned, you can't be stagnant. It's, it's so easy in our industry to be stagnant, or this is how it's been done, or this is how I've done it forever. I mean, in construction and architecture, probably more so construction for me. It's just you, you fight these battles of, you know, this is, the, this is how I've always done it, right? And we're so slow. Yeah, it's yeah. comfortable. And as you mentioned, you have to be uncomfortable. That's the only way you're going to grow. And so with that uncomfort, I mean, not everyone is, uh, you know, proponent of being uncomfortable. You know, some people like to right. stay in their lane and, you know, hit that comfort zone. So from a culture side, as you look at that with your, you know, having 10 employees, and even though you ha- ha- you've had some for a long time, how do you keep that culture refined? How do you keep that current? How do you keep them, you, you know, happy and, and, and still motivated with the uncomfort you, you bring to them? And, and let me preface this with, I don't have it. I don't want to sit here and say that, that I'm perfect at it. And there's been yeah, none a of us lot are. of challenges and it's a struggle every day. But I think the, the big thing for us is one sort of like constant reminder of, of the direction that where we're, of where we're going, but also collaboration is huge. You know, a lot of times, these guys can get behind a desk and not really, you know, some of them don't even have social media or they're, they're not necessarily um, aware of kind of what we've done and where we're going. So bringing that to the forefront has been huge for us. Collaboration where we, you know, at the end of staff meetings, we like to put, you know, a house that anybody's working on on the screen that they're kind of proud of and, and in different stages, by the way, and we pop it up in 3D and spin around and everybody adds their ideas and not all of them are taken, but it just gets everybody like engaged and involved. And, and as a group, we try to do as many site visits as, as we can, you know, that time will allow for um, in different stages, you know, framing, finished product. That for us um, has been the biggest piece, you know, just collaboration, everybody being on the same page and coming together has been the best piece for culture. Um, but also getting processes and systems and everything in place. You know, it, certainly when I had three employees, I, I was a bottleneck in all of that. And, and it wasn't until much later, um, you know, somewhat directed by employees being, you know, like, hey, this got, this has to change. I, w- I brought in, you know, a plan coordinator that, that now handles all the incoming calls and, and sort of fields all of that and, and siphons it into one spot where I'm able to just do a consultation and 
Then she follows that project all the way through and makes sure that you know everything's on schedule and she has all the inspiration photos already set and everything already in files and everything's set up and everybody knows where those are. Whereas before it was me like, oh, you're, you're starting to work on that? Okay, cool, let me see if I can dig through emails and find that client inspiration photo. And, and now it's very on point and succinct. And, and when a project manager does start it, we then collaborate, we all meet with the client again, everybody's in the same room. We touch base, you know, um, to sort of, you know, recap the first meeting that we had, but also come up with different ideas and everybody's involved in all of those processes. It just, you know, again, I want people to be uncomfortable, but it's not that uncomfortable where, where things aren't working properly. So that is huge for the culture to get everything working properly, to, to get BIM up and running, which we can talk about in a bit, all of that and to get people excited and engaged and see what we're doing, all of that is developed. The, the culture to where it is today, which which isn't perfect and it's still going and it's and you know, like like I said, it, it needs a lot of work, but it's doing so much better and it feels good. Yeah, I love that. What what's interesting is I, I love the concept of the plant coordinator. I look at that, you know, similar for me, my project coordinators, you know, and they these ladies do a phenomenal job for us. But on your side, you know, how do you train a plant coordinator? Cause this is a key component to any company. I mean, chasing leads, um, you know, vetting clients, vetting potential leads. I mean, there's a lot that goes into that. How does your plan coordinator understand when that call comes in? Is this a right project for, you know, Fraser Home Design? Does it meet, you know, our quota? Does it meet, you know, our timeline or schedule? You know, how, do, how has that training been done? You know, it's, it's funny. I actually learned something from one of your podcasts with Christian Daw, I think it yeah. was, which, which I thought was just a guy that posted other people's work. But then I hear, <laughs> then I heard the podcast of like, he had some great ideas and his systems were on point and he was like a year in. So I borrowed from that a little bit. And now we have a form that she sends out and her and I have gone over, you know, a, a thousand different scenarios of, of different questions, but there are ways to vet out clients. And, you know, a, a quick example is, you know, we of course ask them their budget. We ask them their, their anticipated timeline of the design. We, we ask them if they've been working sort of like some key questions. Have you worked with an architect before? Um, are you, did you draw your own plan? <laughs> are you working with a builder? You know, and, and all of those things, those are very key questions that not everybody recognizes at the beginning, but those are, those are red flag questions for me. Um, so I'm able to see, is it in a budget that I want to be in? Is their timeline reasonable? Um, what are their inspiration photos look like? Are they, are they, you know, Mediterranean and not really what we do at all? And, and so because of this list and, and our project coordinator being in the meetings with me for you know almost a year now. She really gets a feel of what I'm looking for and what the ideal client is, and so it's it's not like you know I set her down day one and kind of said okay here's what needs to happen. It was really right. sort of a system that developed over time because she was our first project coordinator that we hired. So I didn't I didn't really know what it was going to be day one. I just know that I needed some help and I didn't need to be the guy answering every phone call and and fielding every client. This episode is brought to you by Pella Windows. When it comes to building homes at AFT, almost every project has Pella Windows. And they've been just an incredible partner of ours. And locally, Sammy and Adam, they are not only amazing business partners behind us, but they are super close friends. And I speak on the podcast all the time about the importance of relationships, right? Relationships with our customers, with our vendors, with our suppliers. Because at the end of the day, I'm only as good as those that help our brand and assist us in our projects to, to take it from the ground up all the way to completion. And if we didn't have partners such as Pella, there's no way we'd be who we are today. Over the years, we've built this amazing relationship. When we call them or email them, they respond. They're quick. They're, their company culture, their integrity, their honesty you know, they are always there to do what's right for us and the customer. They can do anything from small replacement projects to large custom homes and even multi-million dollar commercial projects. And also, when you think about their product line, they can do ultra contemporary, historical preservation, and large traditional projects. So for anyone, any scale, any size, they're the ones to call. They're here local. You know, they have an amazing Instagram. Make sure and give them a follow to see what they're doing. So if you need windows and doors, give Sammy and Adam a call. We stand behind Pella. We love what they do, their culture, their brand, and especially their quality. And if you want to learn more about Pella Windows, check our show notes. We'll have everything tagged there so you can give them a follow and have their contact information to reach out. For those of you that have listened to the podcast, you know how big of a fan we are of Build a Trend and that we have used this software for the last four years. And many of the guests that we've brought on the podcast are also Build a Trend users. And in this day and age, with as busy as all of us are in construction, as complicated as it is with escalation pricing, lead times, 
tracking, organization. All of us need a good project management software to help simplify and organize our business. And there are a couple features that we love a ton about Build-A-Trend. And one is the owner portal. The other is the daily logs. And these are features that we use daily, right? Half of my clients are out of state. And as an owner, it is so imperative how we communicate with our clients, with our team, with our customers. And through Build-A-Trend, this allows us that quick connection. They can check at any time. We can communicate with them. We're up to date. This has actually helped us win jobs, win projects because of that organization, especially at pre-construction. And Build-A-Trend also offers a ton of service on the back end, training and understanding and workshops you know, to help us use our software effectively. They also have the podcast, The Building Code. To learn more, head to buildertrend.com backslash AFT to get a 60-day money-back guarantee on your Build-A-Trend account. That's 60 days to make sure you love this product with no pressure, and I know you will. The Tile Shop's exclusive trade program helps pros deliver the highest quality work to their clients with benefits including exclusive pricing, free samples, a customer referral program, and more. From premium installation products from brands like Ardex, Weedy, and Superior to full collections with coordinating trim and accessories, your local tile shop has everything you need for your next project. To learn more about the Tile Shop's Pro Rewards Program, visit tileshop.com. In my opinion, you know, understanding the red flags, right? Because by understanding the red flags and, and, and the pain points you've had in your business, if you use those now and you create an outline, if you will, as you've done to say, okay, these are things we're looking for, just simple questions for the, for the potential lead. And if they're, you know, answering some of these in a red flag manner, then you're like, okay, you know, you know, I, so, something's up, my trigger's up. I'm going to be really careful here. That's right. And the same for me, like if I have yeah. a client that's like, and, and not to, um, go against any client, if they have great taste, you know, when I have a client of that course. says, Hey Brad, I know what I want. I have my floor plan. I found online, you know, I don't yes. need a designer. Yes. It's Good like flex. these kind of things. I'm like, I need to run as fast as I can. And, and not in a bad way. Yeah, because <laughs> I un- I know the value and how much I need Tony, right? I know how much I need my designers and and the coordination there. And I know what you bring to the table and what, what you do for me to perform. And so by understanding that, these are simple questions that help me vet a client, right? And by knowing that and documenting that, which is what you've done, I'm sure that's helped your success. Absolutely. And, you know, so our toughest client, and maybe I shouldn't say this on recording, <laughs> but our toughest client is sort of like a type A personality, someone that, that, well, let me say this, our best client is is somebody that is able to sort of like give us this vision that they have and they have trust in us and they allow us to take those designs and add some creative freedom. Um, we're getting everything they want in the house, but they're not like leading the way for us. The, those are the projects that I, I sort of zoom back out and go, those were great projects, not only during the process, but it was a better product in the end. It fit the client better. It fit the site better. It was more cohesive on the design. Um, the toughest clients are the ones that are more type A and and they come in with a pre-drawn plan or they want to manage everything, but they've never really, they've ever drawn a house before. They don't know anything about house plans. And, and, and again, the toughest one is one that has that personality, but also they can't visualize anything. Right. <laughs> the, that is my absolute toughest client that we have learned to field out. And, and by the way, some of those, there's a small percentage of those that have turned out and I'm like, man, that is better because they did that. And, and really we, we came up with a better product because of that, but it's, but it's a, a rarity. And so one of the big ones for me is when they say I've drawn my own plan. Yeah. <laughs> um, that, that is sort of like me going into the dentist and saying, I looked this up on Google last night, or I did like three days of Google searches and here's where I want you to drill or my financial advisor who I go into, by the way, and everything's Greek to me. But if I went in and said, hey, man, I Googled this stuff and I want you to put these things here and move this here. I mean, that, that's crazy to me. I mean, it's the whole reason I hire people is to trust them and to let them do their thing. And so the, those are the red flags that I, that I look for and have been burned with over the years where projects have taken longer than they needed to be. It's always those people that don't want to pay as, you know, they don't pay on time or they don't want to pay at all or it, it's always that. So we sort of like found our groove over time and and sort of pointed our, our boat in that direction, I guess, for lack of a better word. Yeah, there's, there's nothing worse than being a bank, right? The whole time. I mean, you have to yeah. feed the meter and keep that going. You know, that's that's part of the process. But, you know, as we... As we Absolutely. Yeah, as we pivot here, I think this is interesting on the design side because as I mentioned, you know, we're going to have all your social media stuff tagged here and for people to follow you. But, you know, I see, you know, in Arizona we're very locked as far as style goes. You know, we're, you know, some of the HOAs are very restrictive. There's a lot of, 
Mediterranean and Tuscan, which is kind of a, a tire design that's been around for a long time here. And, you know, some of the HOAs are moving and pivoting and allowing customers to go more modern and do other things. But, you know, for you, you have like Georgian and English arts and craft style. I mean, how did you get into those styles? What's the difference? You know, how do you educate your clientele on that? So, you know, that's the beauty of, of, of Raleigh. Um, there's always been a wide variety of styles. Those I mentioned, it's still a little bit more like semi-custom type of production. So that other than like ultra modern, um, which which is sort of like came into light recently and started to be accepted, really you couldn't get through it. They do have ultra modern there in Raleigh. We we are starting to, um, you know, initially it was in more like infill areas mm-hmm. where you could do whatever style you wanted. There was no HOA, but but in neighborhoods, the the very first style we were able to get in was what I call like a prairie style, where you have like a a 312 roof pitch with a, with a three or four foot overhang and you have modern windows and things, but it still had more like traditional type bones. Um, they're just now starting to accept flat roofs and things, but um, it was always sort of like, you know, craftsman, Georgian, you know, historically we have some great architecture that was here in the early 1920s. Um, but, but, you know, modern farmhouse and all of that was always accepted. Um, there wasn't a ton of, you know, like English arts and crafts, I would say. And again, I go back. The first one that I saw was Dixon Kirby. It was sort of like the shining light coming down and everything like came together for me. And I was like, man, those guys are awesome. And I'm like, where are they getting that from? And then I would, I went to their page and did a little stalker stuff. And I was like, where, who are they following? Because I know that they're getting that from somewhere. And I saw that they were following a company called Persley Dixon. And then I went to their page and it was just completely blown away. Just like, you know, detail galore, proportion, style, settings on the lot. Everything was just absolutely beautiful. And then from there, I found Jeffrey Dungan or, or Dungan Niket at the time and then kind of dove into that a lot. And then I found Ruward Veltman, um, who was back in Charlotte. And, and, and then I found um, Bill Ingram. And then at the very end, I found Bobby McAlpin and realized that he was sort of like connected to all of them. And then I realized all of those guys went to Auburn University. <laughs> all of those guys were roughly the same age. And Bobby McAlpin seemed to be like the professor, like the, the guy that all of them worked for at one time. So I took this really deep dive into all, I listened to every interview, bought every book, listened to every recording that I could from every single one of those guys. And then I found out that, that a lot of that was derived from, from England in the late 1800s. So I was diving into CFA Boise and, and Lutchens and, and really just kind of like immersing myself in all of that and, and just trying it, like throwing it out to our builders here. And, and again, it's tough on the detail side and, and that came with, with time, but that has helped me so much. I was just inspired so much by these guys and, and I continue to be. Um, and, and so really, I don't know if this answered your question with the style, but like that sort of was like the derivative of, of where we are today is, is just getting sort of a creative vibe and feel from those guys. And, you know, if I could do it all over again, I would, I would rewind and go to Auburn University and work with Bobby <laughs> McAlpin. So, but it's, it's so cool to, to see what those guys are doing, you know, and, and the fact that social media is there has really brought that to the forefront. And, and that's how really, when I first got on, Brad, it was, it was like my niece, my young niece that told me about it and said some businesses were on there. And I, I jumped on and probably the third or fourth person I Googled was Jeffrey Dungan and, and saw his name on there and was like, man, he's doing some cool stuff. But what's so great about Instagram is it's not this polished view like his website. He's in his office with his phone, like taking a picture of a sketch or out on site. I was like, man, I've got to do that. And then again, I just started to like post photos and do the exact same thing and kept doing it and doing it. And then one day I, I look up and I'm, I've got some followers and I'm getting calls in it. And wasn't in my business model at all, right? It's sort of suddenly it all sort of like flood in, and and next thing you know, I'm drawing houses in Utah, or we are drawing <laughs> houses in Utah and Oklahoma and upstate New York and you know Tennessee and Georgia. I mean, all over just from the social media platform. Whereas I used to advertise in magazines and and spend you know fifteen hundred dollars a month with to get like half a page and get absolutely the only calls I got were like, what's the color of that home? You know, <laughs> so like to go to this free app. It's suddenly like just calls are flooding in and it brought us national. It's, it's insane. So, so now I'm just like looking what, what's next, you know, I don't want that faucet to turn off one day either, but, but it's been amazing sort of inspiration kind of flowing into that trajectory. And again, it wasn't a business model. It's not like I predicted it when I jumped on, I had no clue. I just stumbled into it. It's kind of amazing how that works. You know, I think this goes back to earlier in the conversation when you're mentioning, you know, this, we were talking about rates. Well, Part of this too, as you mentioned, I mean, all this research, you just named, 
you know, all these architects that you had admiration for and you followed and you're trying to understand the details and the design and where does this history come from? As you mentioned, England, late 1800s. And, you know, th- this is education that you're now bringing to the client that you've done for them and in their behalf to bring these styles to life. And, you know, social media, again, that's how you and I connected. We became friends on there and have, have networked and, and, you know, so are there other social media platforms you're using? You know, are you running social media, you know, Instagram yourself? How have you, um, especially now with your growth and the reputation you have on there and the, you know, the, the fan base you have, which has been pretty, pretty awesome to watch, you know, how, how's that going now? So, so we've, we've used Howl's prior to Instagram. So we're, we're on Howl's, we're, we're on Pinterest, um, LinkedIn, of course. But I still, you know, I get questions from time to time, leads from time to time. Ironically, most of the clients that bring in inspiration photos, uh, certainly, of a, you know, 50 and above, they aren't bringing in Instagram posts. They're, they're bringing in Hal's links. But for whatever reason, we, we don't get a ton of activity on there. Um, but, but I do, I'm much more active with Instagram. Just it's very easy to post. I find those other apps and, and maybe it's user error, but um, they're not as easy to, to get content out there and to get feedback directly back. So Instagram, I'm able to post something and, you know, within an hour, I have a few hundred likes and comments and direct feedback. And, and then the following few days, we start getting calls. Um, I don't see that with any other social media app, and I'm, I'm looking for the next app. So if you know it, Brad, let, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, it's interesting because as you mentioned, though, I think there's a, there's a personality you've built in, and you mentioned this early on that following Jeff that, yeah, for you, you can go on Instagram and I've seen the same thing for me. I mean, you can, you can have your feed that's very professional. You can have your feed that, you know, really caters to, to what your work and your focus is and your goal structure there. Whereas stories you can use to show, here's how I draw, here's behind the scenes, here's the company culture, here's my family. I mean, there's different things where you can build this where people now become connected to you. Absolutely. And we, we use stories for just that. If I'm like walking through a site or something, I'm not necessarily posting that into a post, right? So I can just on a whim, I'm out on a site or I don't know if you've seen it before. I drive by like houses every weekend. I find myself kind of driving by projects and I'll just drive down the street and like just hang my phone out the window in a story and, and kind of like loop that together with some music or something. That, those are big popular posts with us and stories and, and actually reels as well are, are great for those type of things. Sort of like spur of the moment, I'm on a site, check it out. Um, and then we get, you know, photographers involved and, and post our work on, on regular posts, um, which is just Again, it's just so amazing that the feedback that we get from people. So with your eye for design, it, you know, how critical are you of other styles and designs you see? And I don't mean it in a trolling way where you're going on and commenting, but just internally as you're seeing things like, hey, I would have done that, that different or what if they did this? I mean, yeah. how does that impact maybe your creativity moving forward? Well, I, I'm able to see mistakes that, that I've also made. And, and I'm sure that the names of those guys that I've mentioned, not all of them follow me either. So they're probably seeing stuff on my stuff. So I'm very aware <laughs> of that, but I'm able to see things. And, and again, lessons that I've learned with, with you know, grid patterns, proportions, scale, roof massing, um, all of that I can see very, very quickly and see those same mistakes. And, but it, but it's, it's really cool, especially like here in Raleigh. Again, I mentioned Dixon Kirby was kind of like the first one. And I sort of came in with, you know, hundred builders under my belt. So when I started to make those changes, it was felt, it was very rapid around Raleigh that that happened and we were able to take notice. And even though a lot of designers that, that are kind of behind me are, are, are doing kind of like following that same feel and I'm seeing errors and they're getting better, you know what I mean? And, and I don't pretend to be like the king of all of that, but it's so cool to see like guys following that path and me kind of look back and go, man, I can see that they're they're kind of like pulling pieces and pulling inspiration from me, and what an awesome feeling! So I can't, I can't critique that work so much, <laughs> right? It's just amazing to see it. I'm like so excited, you know, just just to see like I'm just a young guy that like worked his ass off to like go up that ladder, kicking and screaming, and then like look back and go, damn man, people are like looking at my stuff. I can tell it's awesome. I'm all about it. See, that's. Cr- it's it's great maturity, great perspective. I think what's really tough from your perspective, you know, it's different for me, you know, we go out and build, but from a designer or an architect where you're the creator, you're creating these designs and you have people maybe mimic or copy, if you will, or use elements that inspire them, you know, the, there's a maturity there because I'm sure at, on some level too, maybe you're like, Hey, I created that and now yeah. you're using it. And it took a lot of time and research and, you know, education, but you know, you know, how is that? Is it, is it more flattery? Or is it sometimes aggravating? Great question. And, and the answer is that it depends, right? So it, 
if I see an exact copy, even when the proportions are messed up, I I, I make yeah. a call. But when I yeah. see like, <laughs> man, that's that two-story bay I do a million times, or that's that cove mold detail that I do, and and I know that locally that's where they got it, or they saw it on a set of plans, or you know, man, they weren't doing that three months ago, and now I can see they're they're kind of borrowing those pieces. So as long as it's done with respect, because look, I, I'm sure there's a time when when Dixon Kirby felt the same way about me, and and maybe some of those other guys have seen my stuff and felt the same way. But as long as it's done for more like an inspiration piece, you're not grabbing like an exact replica of a piece. Yeah. But but if you're if you're using it within reason and, and you have your own creative license with that inspiration, completely acceptable. Even when I'm seeing some of those themes duplicated, I love it. But but a duplication, we we've gone down that road a couple times with some people, and uh, it's not appreciated by anybody. I don't think. <laughs> yeah, no one wants an exact copy out there. Right, exactly. So, Even when it's, I'll see it, like it'll pop. What's cool about social media, Brad, is, is just that is like, I'll get an email from someone in Oklahoma that goes, hey man, isn't this your stuff? Or it looks a lot like yours. And I'll look <laughs> it up and it's like an exact copy, but the proportions are all like jacked up. And, and it's, and it, you know, sometimes I make a call for that one. But, but it's yeah. just more just to be like, hey man, I see what you're doing. That's awesome. But don't try to keep some distance there, you know? Yeah. So, Try to make it a little different. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I understand. So, you know, as far as the design side, when you, you know, especially training and company culture, I mean, you, you mentioned this that, you know, the, the structural engineering firm you worked for in the very beginning, you know, everything was, you know, hand drawn and of course, 2D through CAD and now 3D and BIM modeling. You know, how has your company evolved using new technology and information to again refine that process? Well, the, the cool thing, the very first thing that sort of the big technological jump that we did here was, and you may see this out from outside looking in right on social media, but it, it early on, I would sit in a meeting with a client and have a bunch of pieces of trash paper and I would draw out a quick sentence. So, so we, when I design a home for somebody, I draw it live for them, not the finished product, but just all the concepts and room locations. And initially I would sit down with some trash paper and draw out, you know, a kitchen and a dining room and a family room and they wanted it rearranged. So I'd put in another layer and then sketch again and then another layer and another layer. And then at some point, a builder came in, he had an iPad Pro, and he was like taking some notes with his pen. And I'm like, can I draw with that? And he's like, yeah, I don't, I don't see why not. So immediately, the end of the day, I went up to the Apple store, got an iPad Pro, and tried to like find some apps that I could draw with. Um, I saw this like T. Scott, T. Scott Carlisle, I think is his name. Awesome artist, architect on Instagram. And he tagged something that said Procreate one day. So I loved his drawings. I got Procreate. And, and from there, I, I started sketching and started to get good at it. And then now I sit in a meeting with a client and, and there's no trash paper. I'm drawing on my iPad and there's a big screen in the conference room. There's a couple that their drawings are coming up live on the big screen. And, and I'm able to Amazing. overlay things and move things around and shift and rotate and erase and create different layers. And then one day, um, an intern was like, you know, you could like share this, right? You can like, you could, you could mirror a screen and, and share this with somebody. It's like, what? That's amazing. Cause we were doing a little bit out of the country and I'd have one of my project managers like holding up an iPhone over my sketch as I was drawing. <laughs> and, and we were going to invent this cool arm that like held the phone, you know? Um, but turns out an iPad is much better to do that. So that's when I found Zoom and, <laughs> and it was cool. Yeah. I could sit with a client in Tennessee and sketch live in front of them on the iPad. And so the experience of me sketching for somebody in another state or in another city in in North Carolina is the exact same thing of us sitting across the table from each other. I'm sketching live in front of them and they are seeing that on the iPad. So it has nothing to do with 3D, but that was like the very first sort of like jump or like we're in a different world here. And, and by the way, luckily when COVID hit, we already had those systems in place. So it was a very smooth transition when we went back home. Um, and, and as far as 3D goes, you know, we, our typical platform was we were using CAD and at the very end, we'd put it into SketchUp and then, but the design was already kind of like towards the end and we'd show people exterior SketchUp models. And, you know, then I hired a guy that, that knew Revit and we started kind of going down the Revit path and it was a little, you know, I hired a guy to create the template as well. And it just with all these roof lines that we do and all these curves and all these details, it wasn't working well for us, at least. And it might have been your podcast, Brad. I think it was Brandon Architects where he said something. This is like a year and a half ago. And he said, we were on Revit and we switched to ArchiCAD. 
And I was like, what? Mm-hmm. They, they, they went away from a BIM platform to another one? And I, I knew Archicad before, but it's sort of like the it's outside looking in. It's like the European version of, of Revit that is really big in Europe, but not big here yep. at all. And I started looking into it. I called Graphisoft and I just was blown away by what they were able to do and how they were able to draw shapes and how, were they, how they were able to present that to clients. So I kind of just jumped. I jumped all in. It was very uncomfortable for the office again, Brad, but I, I, yep. I got a bunch of training. We, we you know, I, I got the deluxe package where they came in and they, and they trained us and bought all the software day one. And this is about a year ago, I would say. And today, while it's not perfect, man, we're drawing all of our new projects in Archicad in 3D and it's brought just new life to everything because when I sit down with somebody and I, I sketch these red, kind of like down and dirty sketches, and then it goes to my project managers to put that into CAD. The very next thing they see, not only is their first preliminary plan, but we also walk them through in 3D day one in the preliminary concept. So they are seeing, especially if they're in our office here, we have we have two screens, Brad, where I'll have my 2D drawing up and I'm sketching over it, making changes. And then our project managers in the conference room in Archicad on 3D, and, and we're walking through the house day one. And, and granted, the inside isn't beautiful yet. It doesn't have like all the trim or anything, but it's they're able to look from the family room and see the kitchen or see outside. And we've modeled all the topography because we have the topo. So they're really under able to understand how the house is sitting on the lot. That for us has changed everything. And so each round, it gets a little bit more detailed. They're able to see a little bit more until ultimately after I sketch the outside of the home, they're able to see the outside in 3D. And what's awesome about Archicad is you can export to a program called BIMX, which is like a, a free, I feel like I'm plugging Archicad here, but, but I'm not, but it's a free download. <laughs> no, you're good. It's a free download that builders and homeowners can download and they, they can walk through in 3D on their own. Now, now granted, it takes some, some video game experience to do that, but you can walk through on your own. And the biggest, coolest piece, and you may have seen this on our social media platform, is, is what it can do for the builders. We're able to take these 3D drawings that have all of our details and all of our cross sections. And so it has all the 2D data. But remember, the 2D data is the 3D. It's one and the same. You're able to go on there as a builder and and fly through the house, cut sections, click on a detail and see exactly where that detail is cut and how that detail comes together. And a builder can pan around. And, you know, in the commercial world, Brad, at least in some areas of the country, they're already doing not necessarily Archicad, but they're already in some sort of digital platform versus a big roll of pages out on site. And they're able to like pan through and and again, get very specific with those details. And for us to be able to do that, there's not another company here in Raleigh that's doing that. So when I go back to my bubble diagram, Brad, it's like when we're able to take that and then mix it with the artistic piece and get the customer service in there and all of these things that merge together, man, it's just, it's so exciting to be a part of the company, says the boss, but but it's pretty pretty awesome. No, but I'll, I'll I'll chime in there because I I totally agree. I mean, what I've seen is you know I'm I'm heavily involved in the pre-construction process, you know, with all of our projects, and what I've seen are these architects, as you mentioned, is you can go 3D like an Archicad, and you can show solstice. I mean, for Arizona, think I mean Arizona's hot in the summer, and and to understand where shade is, yes. where that sun's coming in at certain times of the day, especially as it's setting in the west in July and August. I mean, it trust me, when it's 115, 118, it makes a huge difference. And then, as you mentioned, you know, showing topography and the views and really understand that for window placement. I mean, it just makes my life so much easier where the client's not coming in, you know, as the house is framed saying, well, I want a bigger window or I want to change this or this view. I mean, really, you've done all that R&D already a year in advance. Yeah, man. It, it's awesome. It's so cool to show a client. So we get a lot of clients that are, that are very concerned about light or every client. The very first thing they say is I love light. Every single client, every single time. So for them to like stand in their family room and us to to jump into to you know they have plugins just like Revit where we can jump into Twin Motion or Inkscape or whatever and show them the projection of the sun in certain times of the year and times of the day and they can stand there and see the light come in because again every client is like I want light they just want as much light as possible and I'm like well all light isn't good I don't necessarily want a big you, yeah. you've seen my window towers Brad I try not to do that on the western side of the house right and yeah. and even southern exposure which is brutal at certain times of the year. Yeah, we need to create big overhangs to kind of block that because in the summer the sun is up above, and if we create big overhangs, we can block that. And a lot of people think, have this sort of they're coming from older dark homes, and it's almost like they think they want sun beating on the side of their face 
in the middle of the day. Which so, they don't want. <laughs> so I have to go through that with them and kind of explain how that would work. But also, like, how does it reflect off of other things? And how does that look? How does that room? How is that room experienced in a different way at different times of the day? And for us to be able to show that in a digital platform is amazing. Um, we haven't gotten there yet. I know a lot of your um, architects that you've interviewed have, but they're the next step. As soon as we grasp everything, we get everything running, is going you know into full virtual reality because wow, even, even this 3D that we're doing, it's still lost a little bit. Where someone will 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 we'll show them a house with a big you know vaulted ceiling or even a 10 foot ceiling or 12, and they'll be like, the room's small. It just doesn't quite feel right. And we're like, no, I'm, <laughs> the room is humongous. And and really, it's it's uh, virtual reality that this sort of will put that in perspective for people. So BIMX, which I mentioned, has like a very rough sort of rudimentary slide your phone in a cardboard deal. And I, I get sick when I do it, but we're, we're, we're on the edge of sort of like forming that. I would say by the end of the year, we're going to have clients in here in virtual reality walking through their house. Again, not just at the end, but every single stage throughout the process. And that that for me is what's so cool. It's no longer going from 2D and then we have a separate 3D component that they don't line up. But the 2D is the 3D. Everything matches. And, and from a quality assurance thing, um, it's amazing. Like I'll never have another plan where the floor plan, where I have a window on the floor plan or a twin window in the floor plan and there shows a triple on the exterior. And, and we don't catch that <laughs> until like the very end before we order windows. It's like, we'll never have that again. And and I, I know that most of your listeners, uh, as far as designers go, are probably already using them. But here in Raleigh, it was sort of... Uh, Past that, it wasn't done. It was it was more you know two D, and so for us to get into that and see that change happen has been so exciting for us and, and for our clients. Well, it's amazing. I mean, it, it's, it's funny you say that because even Phoenix, Phoenix is a massive metro area. I mean, we're what top five cities now, I think, because of uh, you know as far as you look at county wise. But you know, it's a big place, and there's still architects hand drawing. There's still architects that don't use any BIM. Wow, architects that don't use any like uh, Archicad or Revit or anything. I mean, it's just very two D. And there's a lot of mistakes, right? Because as you mentioned, it's, you know, you get snow blind, you're looking at the same thing right. over and over and you right. don't realize I've made changes on these pages and client may make a change. I don't go back and edit on every page. And so, you know, it, it puts a lot of strain on us. And so for you to be able to use BIM to catch that and, you know, to, to find these solutions in advance and, and, and check the mechanicals and plumbing and make sure you know where ductwork's going. So, yeah, yeah. you know, matches structure. I mean, this is, this saves me so much time, but it's amazing. And what's one of the biggest things, Brad, is like, again, I mentioned the 2D is the 3D, but like I can move something on the floor plan. It changes it on the elevation, on the 2D elevation, changes it on the 3D model, changes it on the cross section, changes it on, the, on you know, the, the call outs and everything. Everything changes in one swoop. I can't imagine these guys that are drawing 150 page plans and they're using 2D, you know, CAD or God forbid, hand drawn the whole thing. I can't imagine what those changes are like. <laughs> I can't imagine. It's crazy. Well, I mean, your passion just shows, and, and it shows in your designs. And Tony, I mean, I've been a huge fan for a long time. Thanks. As I mentioned, it's just I, I love your work. I think you're doing amazing things. You know, we're better for following you. You know, outside of the architecture, which you're so passionate about, what do you do for fun? You know, um, I was I was thinking about that. It's like it's a uh, most of my life is filled with architectures. As sad as that sounds. We, you know, on the weekends, I get my whole family involved. They have two daughters, wife, and, and we drive around and look at houses. They, they aren't as excited as I am. But, um, <laughs> you know, we have a little beach place. We go down and have a boat and we fish and, and do cool things like that. But really, I would just say spending time with my family. But my one true hobby, passion, love is architecture. It's on my mind at all times. So um, it, it's like the best, you know, it's so cool to be able to create a home for somebody, you've heard this before, but you create a home for somebody, they live in, they raise their family, they create all these memories. And, and you've heard that answer before, but I'll also tell you, it's also about me. <laughs> because at heart, I'm an artist. And how cool is it that I can sit in my sunroom at 5 a.m. And, and sketch out just some basic ideas on paper, fast forward 18 months, and that's on display for everybody to see. And and my art is there for everybody. And it's, and it's you know, people are driving by it every day. And here's the coolest thing, right, is in 80 years, it's still there. And people are hopefully talking right. about it. What, what other job can you do? I don't know a better job. I, I don't. And, and so, like, it's so cool to help people enrich their lives, make their lives better 
but also, you know, to, to enrich my own and my family's. So it's, it's been amazing. And I'm just so excited to do what we do. Well, I love it. I love that you're sharing your legacy and, you know, it's amazing. So what do you have upcoming and exciting, Tony? Again, sort of drawing things in different states. We have some cool stuff going in Tennessee right now and Atlanta. Um, you know, I would say the biggest change, and you've kind of seen this, I'm sure, outside looking in, is for a while there, we were kind of, you know, getting a little like flamboyant with things and doing a lot of steep pitches. And, and that's kind of what like brought a lot of people to us. But we're getting better and I'm getting more reserved and don't feel like I need to kind of like throw it all out there as we're getting the proportions are getting better. And each design is just getting more dialed in and, and, and you know, proportion again, better. And it, it's just our work is sort of evolving and you're seeing a big change in it. And that as a whole is just so exciting for us. It's like, again, going back to like, I don't want to be what I was last year. It's like each year to see us get better is the true passion, man. It is just to see us sort of evolve and continue to change. It's not, it's not like one project, you know, it's, it's the whole collection in the body of where we're going as this team together. It's great. Well, I love it. Well, where can our listeners find you? Um, we're at Fraser Home or www.fraserhomedesign.com. And that's F-R-A-Z-I-E-R. Or you can reach me on Instagram at Fraser Home Design. Well, for all of you listening, make sure you go into the show notes, click on that, check them out. They, they do some amazing work. You'll definitely be inspired. So Tony, thanks for making time today. Absolutely, Brad. Appreciate you having me, man. It was a great talk. So thank you all for tuning into the podcast today. And just as a recap, if you check the show notes, they're just going to have all the links for the topics that we discuss. And also one of our favorite features now is the chapters that go through the conversation. So if there's certain topics you want to revisit or listen to, they're outlined by the time that we discuss those. And again, we can't thank you enough for all of your support. Please make sure and download our podcast, subscribe, give us a five-star rating and review wherever you download your podcast.